Welcome to Blockchain Inside. The podcast is co-produced by the International Data Engineering and Science Association, the Purdue Blockchain Lab, and CastBox. Our vision is to connect everyone in the blockchain industry and explore the most up-to-date news. We hope this podcast will be educational, easy to understand, and inspirational for all of our listeners. I'm Coach Culbertson, and today we have Christian Kmeyer with us. Christian, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself to our audience a little bit and tell us how you got started in blockchain. I should say I started as a technologist out in the early 80s. That dates myself, but my first computer was an Atari 520 ST, which didn't have a hard drive. And then Nice. That's old school, man. That's old school. (laughs) Yeah, and so the next logical step was a Commodore 64, like many people of my generation, I guess. So... And because of that, I decided, hey, I should intern at Siemens Nixdorf in, in the mid-80s. And after that experience, decided that it was a little too early for software development. So I decided to go to law school instead and became a lawyer, but still a technologist at heart. So specialized in internet, telecommunication law and ended up being general counsel for one of the early internet service providers in Europe. And we were lucky enough to sell the company at the height of the dot-com back in 2000, so six weeks before NASDAQ hit its all-time high. And then that allowed me to leave uh, Europe, move to the United States. And I became chief operating officer for a venture firm. We were focused mainly on for about four years and then left to build my own crowd-based online marketplace. Um, So my own startup sold that in 2008, which really meant we were cutting our losses. But it was a good learning experience, a pretty expensive one. (laughs) And well, because of that learning experience or partially because of of that, what uh, became abundantly clear to me was that the web is highly centralized. And so in our particular experience, we had to compete with Google. And because of that, we were sandboxed and basically never went anywhere. So I started kind of researching this and writing about this back in 2006 about, 2008, and eventually uh, started speaking about this. And for the past two, three years, have been full-time committed to the blockchain space. I've run a few ICOs and we're currently building a specific fund in this area. Hmm. So with your experience in startups and, uh, and, and in the beginnings of business, can you talk to us a little bit about how you might be able to build a blockchain business well from scratch? Right. So I'm coming to this kind of as a big picture guy and investor. So that means for investment purposes, but also for the sake of making a decision about technology, you should be starting at what point in time. The timing is the number one thing you should be paying attention to. So what I mean by this specifically, and obviously that's a kind of a comparison that has been drawn many, many times by now is we at the early stages of the internet, right, in terms of blockchain development. And so what this means for blockchain is we're basically at the protocol level. So initially when the internet started out, we had the internet protocol and then added a couple of other protocols on top of that, like HTML made the World Wide Web, SIP made voice over IP, and then fast forward to Bitcoin, Bitcoin allowed money over IP or MOIP. 
And so if you look at the current state of development, all the blockchains that are in existence, they are very much alphas and betas with the exception of Bitcoin. Bitcoin has been battle tested and has been used in different ways by now, but mostly at its current status, it's digital gold. You probably have heard this many times. So um, that's kind of a long-winded answer in telling you that it's probably too early for most applications protocol so most teams should actually take a very close look at what's possible with the current protocols and then more likely than not uh, contributing to the development of the protocol rather than trying themselves on building an, an application on top of that mm. there's exceptions to that where it's um timely due to um, the specific circumstances, i.e. if you are in sub-Saharan Africa, you never had a bank account yet, it's timely to build an application specifically for that market and that can run Bitcoin because, well, there's no other alternative maybe in your particular neck of the woods that would even allow you to have a mechanism for payment but mm. because you might not even have an identity. But now if you have a digital wallet, you can exchange value. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so let's sh let's talk about this whole cryptocurrency thing because that's all the hotness, right? Everybody wants to talk about crypto. Talk to us a little bit about cryptocurrencies and what the differences are. Sure. And so one thing due to my education, there is uh, this paradigm of you don't get to use a word unless you first define it. Right. So when you write a doctor thesis where I'm from, then you, you write down a word, you define what you mean by that, and then you start explaining uh, the larger context. And so to me, honestly, cryptocurrencies are almost the least interesting part of what blockchain is about. I mean, to, to a lot of those developments, the currency part or the token is a side effect of whatever the project is actually trying to achieve. So outside of... Um, Bitcoin specifically or uh, Ripple to some degree, although that's somewhat iffy, and uh, Zcash and a couple of the other explicit cryptocurrencies, most of the other tokens are actually just the function of the um, application that those teams are trying to build. But back to the original question, so if you're looking at the actual currencies, you want to narrowly define if they are going to be around and used as currencies because specifically Bitcoin today is virtual gold. However, uh, since it's open source and it's still in development, if tomorrow lightning network strikes, so to speak, mm. um, maybe the rest of the world, uh, including myself, will start using it as a regular currency because it's losing its status as virtual gold. Not all that likely, but entirely possible. Because the one thing that is entirely underestimated is the aspect that every token and every blockchain in its nature is software. And the good ones, the truly decentralized ones, are open source in their nature. So if you look at the World Wide Web as a whole, which is something that, in my opinion, is going to be rebuilt using blockchain paradigms, uh, you'll notice that it's built on Linux, but it's many, many different versions of Linux. So let's talk a little bit about getting some suggestions. What would you suggest about and for new investors who want to get into the crypto investment? I think there's two things one must understand. So 
overall, I think the idea of investing is changing because if you look at the current scenario, investing right now means that you're allocating to this particular paradigm. So if you go back a little bit in time and look at the people that are quote unquote invested in Ethereum, they actually didn't um, attribute those monies to the Ethereum project with the expectation of profit or getting anything back. So they weren't making an investment. They were truly making a donation because they believed in this particular project and that, that it should exist. And so that's kind of the best case scenario that I see. What I mean by that is if you think that this particular thing should exist in the world, yeah, subscribe to it, right? You do your due diligence, but be excited about the actual thing that these people are building. And then as far as just looking at investments in general, it comes back to, yeah, you want to see, first of all, is this timely, right? So is this something that within the next couple of months, because everything is developing rapidly in the space at the moment, every two weeks, a lot of things change. So <laughs> is this something that's going to make a dent or are there 15 other projects that all say they do the same thing? And none of those are actually timely right now because we can't really build music management. We, we can't really build uh, a new social media network at this point in time. The tools, the application developer tools are simply not there. And so that's more the high level. And the other ones are just common sense. Look at uh, the actual team. Has this team built something before or uh, was the lead developer an intern at um, IKEA until September of last year, right? And you see more often than not that they have very unexperienced people that are listed on their quote-unquote white papers. And then thirdly, and that's just something that's very natural to people that are technologists, just look at the GitHub, look at their code depository and see if there's actually anything happening. And more often than not, you'll simply find there's nothing happening. So if you just apply those four things, you can easily kick out probably 95% of stuff that's being promoted to you. So some people are saying that cryptocurrencies are in a bubble. And you know, since you and I, we lived through that whole 1990s dot-com bubble. What are your thoughts on this? Because I mean, Buffett's saying that cryptocurrencies will almost certainly end badly. Yeah. No, cryptocurrencies in my mind almost certainly will re replace fiat currencies. That's pretty apparent at this point in time. So huh, okay. coming back to the overriding paradigm and the granddaddy of all cryptocurrencies, in order for you to shut down Bitcoin, you have to shut down the internet. Bitcoin has hmm. 500 times the computing power of Google at this point in time. So if you design your cryptocurrency correctly and model it truly decentralized, you distribute it correctly, and you have the right incentive mechanism, your cryptocurrency is most likely going to stay. And uh, thirdly, governments are already actively looking at the implementation of cryptocurrencies. And so as far as like the bubbliness of this, sure, bubbles have always happened and, and need to happen. And, and it's good in the sense of more people are paying attention to it. But if you look at the size of the bubble, like that occur in the space and there's actually great animations for that to be had um, that you will find online you'll see that the biggest bubbles are surrounded by actual investments so they that means they already had initial venture capital investment and they are adding to it now so they're already building on an existing platforms 
Um, so if you look at the Telegram ICO, they, they simply didn't have to go out into um, their public sales since 81 contributors contributed 750 million to their second stage. So there was no reason for them to, to go out into the public. So that would be a big bubble, right? So you're looking at a big bubble of $1.6 billion or something in that neighborhood being raised. So if you look at it in terms of the actual size and money allocations, that would be the biggest bubble or actually EOS, EOS is, is a larger bubble from that perspective as far as the contributions that went into it. But then you have to understand what this bubble is made of, who is part of it, and what are the dynamics within that. So I always take a big picture approach. So I look at the overall ICOs, and when you do that, uh, you'll see that the top 12 projects raised about 65% on a yearly basis, and that those projects actually have solid support from real ecosystems and or have already something built. And the rest you can more or less ignore for all I'm concerned. And not to forget that even though that there's this mythos that anybody can just write a white paper and raise a couple of million dollars, that's simply not true. I've mm. done several ICOs so far, it's hard work. And that's given uh, the fact that uh, the last project we raised money for, we started out initially and that's a couple of years ago, raising $7.7 .7 million in traditional venture funding, building a platform, generating several million users on the platform, generating the token system, et cetera. And, and still it was hard work to raise a few million dollars and I'm being facetious on the few million dollars, but um, the vast majority of projects doesn't have those milestones and as such would be entirely ignored by the greater community. And then lastly, and then I uh, cut it short on this point, is you also have to see where these funds are coming from. And the one mistake that everybody always does in this space is they're reporting um, these money raises in US dollar. Obviously, none of um, these funds are being contributed in US dollar. They're typically contributed in Bitcoin and Ether and maybe a couple of the other altcoins. But um, if you drill down on where those funds are coming from, obviously it's not ma uh, mom and pop retail investors. It's people that were sitting on these Ether and Bitcoin. And most of the time they were sitting on those because they were A, either miners and or they were buying um, these particular cryptocurrencies early and have had huge, huge windfalls that they're diversifying. It's a very small group of people that's coming into this market newly and maybe creating a Coinbase account and putting a couple of uh, ETH in there. And as you know, um, Coinbase only holds four coins and then trying to divest this into a quote unquote ICO, which is a terrible term, but then uh, most of the time now we'll find out, well, if you are a US citizen, and we're talking probably to mostly US citizens at the moment, uh, then you're likely already excluded at this point in time due to the regulatory uncertainty here. So in pursuing these ventures, what's the best place to find qualified programmers for blockchain technology right now? Because that's talent seems to be at a, quite a premium at this point. Right. So the first question, obviously, you have to ask yourself when you start on a project, do you actually need a blockchain, right? Because um, there's 
more often than not, what we'll find these days is there's companies that are looking at the blockchain that would be much better off just using a regular database for whatever they're trying to do. Uh, then secondarily, and what needs to be kept separate at all times is should a business tokenize, which is different. So if, if you have a loyalty system, most likely you should tokenize that. That doesn't mean that you need to build a blockchain. And I can expand on that. But to get to your final questions, is it really depends on what level of engagement and what blockchain you want to build on. So a couple of examples. If you want to create a copy of um, the Bitcoin blockchain, which anybody in the world can because it's an open source system, uh, then you need C++ developers and there are many out there. So you can do that. If you want to build an application on top of the Ethereum blockchain, then you need to find people that have already learned solidity of which they are few and far in between because they are in very high demand. And then there's other languages on, on different blockchains, but all of those are currently not well supported. So we're about to bring this podcast on in for a landing. Hey, can you tell our guests how they could connect to you and if you have any resources in mind that our blockchain enthusiasts might enjoy? The easiest way that I always say is just Google me, K-M-I-R-K-M-E-I-R. So there's plenty of talks that I've given on this topic in the past. Some are just introduction to the space. Some are to the point of investing in the space. Some are on more particular projects like um, crypto exchanges, et cetera. So any of those will eventually lead you to my LinkedIn profile. Just reach out to me there. Well, you then will also find a bunch of articles over the years that I wrote on this topic that are typically more analytical in, in nature. And so lastly, in terms of general advice, uh, stay away from anybody who has an agenda, obviously. There's very few people who go out without an agenda and are just out there to educate. And most of those you will find at your local technical meetups. And my suggestion would be talk to those guys. You will be more likely to find the truth there than you'll find it online. And then the obvious one being go into the technical forums, right? Go on, on the subreddits if you're interested in a particular project. Right on. Those are good words. All right. Christian, thanks so much for being with us today. This has been absolutely awesome. Well, thank you. All right. And to our listeners, thanks for following up with us today. Blockchain Inside, the podcast is co-produced by the International Data Engineering and Science Association, Purdue Blockchain Lab, and CastBox. Please subscribe to our show on castbox.fm slash blockchain lab and leave a comment there if you have any questions. I'm Coach Culbertson. Thanks for hanging out with us and we'll see you next time.